Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Praise the Lord. Open in your Bibles, if you would, please, to the book of Matthew, chapter 15. Matthew, chapter 15. Do we have kids today? Sorry. Um, Children's Church today, three years old through second grade. Kevin and Lola and some junior high helpers, thank you all so very much. You may be dismissed. Hallelujah. I'm going to teach a new series that's tied to what we just got done with, the seed time and harvest idea. This, this is entitled Harvest Time Faith. And what I want you to get out of this is the difference between the faith that we oftentimes say we have and the biblical position that harvest time faith puts in us. And so I'm going to try and show that to you today. I have a lot of things uh, to to do. I love uh, teaching along these lines. And so we're going to talk about today the tradition of faith. The tradition of faith is, is literally what's been passed down Normally, when you say tradition, it's an oral. This may be in the notes that, that we have online, but, but it is. Thank you, Jeremy. So normally what happens is that tr- traditions are orally transported, meaning that we say it often enough that it becomes a part of our basic facts. Now, listen to me. Here, uh, thank you. Wow, you got a, there it is. That's, well, that's an awesome word, Pastor. Way to go. See, oral tradition, we all, we all carry that. And, and in some ways, this oral tradition, or literally the tradition of faith, is the gap that's caused by the lack of biblical reality. Tradition of faith is the, is the gap created, thank you, or caused by the lack of biblical reality. So what we say is, by the tradition of faith, that if somebody is not healed, they didn't have enough faith. But biblical reality does not measure faith as a receiving tool, but rather as a function of gifting, where God says, I'm going to give this to you. So God has obviously given each and every one of you a measure of faith, and that's enough for you. And you can say, I don't know if it is, Pastor. It is. Take my word for it. Because harvest time faith takes what God gives us and turns it into the spiritual reality of the Word of God. So we're going to talk about that today. Now, harvest time faith is literally this idea, the reality of an unseen intent of God made substantive. Now, when I say substantive, there it is. Thank you. The reality of an unseen intent made substantive. What it it means is we get what God wants to do, and it becomes something that we can touch inside ourselves. That's harvest time faith. Now, before I get ahead of myself, let's read our scripture in Matthew chapter 15. Notice, if you would, please. In verse number one, it says, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Again, this is an oral commitment passed down. And they said, You shouldn't do this if you eat. And it was all done for show. That's the tradition. And he said in verse 3, he answered and said, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? He literally took that and turned it back into them not following the law of Moses. 
He said, you're not following the law of Moses. And he gives that example of how you don't have to honor your mother and father if you take what you were supposed to honor your mother and father with and turn it over to God. Well, see, that goes against the general condition of biblical faith. So notice again, he says in about the, the uh, 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 sixth verse, he says, then he need not honor his father and mother because he took that and he, and, he, and he dedicated it to God. So the support that he was supposed to take care of his family with, he dedicated it to God so that he could use it in a different way. So important for us to recognize that the traditions that we operate under are oftentimes not biblical. They're not biblical. Now, notice again in verse number six, he said, then he need not honor his father or mother or father or mother. Thus, you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. We've literally turned our receiving from God into a function of works called the tradition of faith. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It produces, here's your quote, it produces, and I believe but it's different than what we really need. The tradition of faith produced, and I believe, holds very little of the results of the believing. Literally, the tradition of faith says, oh, yes, I believe that, Pastor. If I've, I've been in ministry a long time. I've heard that a lot. But many of those people are not holding anything inside their soul that's substantive, that they can just say, you know what, that's in there. I know that I know that I know it's in there. It's substantive on the inside. I know some things that live like rocks inside of my heart. It's the person and, 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 and foundation of Jesus Christ that I can stand. I know those things. They're substantive. They have function and reality in my life. That's harvest time faith. So the tradition of faith produces, and I believe, but holds very little. So we can say, oh, yeah, I believe. But you see, when you believe, you have everything that you need. So here's the first place that I want you to see this. When, when, when you say, well, I have a need, I have a need, I have a need. Well, the Bible says he's, he's given us all our needs before we ask. So we're looking at something that we're lacking and calling it faith. I have the tradition of faith because I'm telling everybody what I need. That's not faith. It's not faith at all. Harvest time faith says, here's what God has already done. Let me show that to you. Turn, if you would, please, to the book of John, chapter 4. And there's more in those scriptures. I just want to give you, you know, bits and pieces of this so you can go home and, and, and study this yourself. But notice, if you would, please, in John chapter 4, let's begin reading in the 27th verse. It says, and at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or what you're talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way and said to the men, come see a man who told me all these things that I ever did. When they went out of the city, it came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Now, here's the situation. This is right after the woman in the well thing, where Jesus just reads this woman's mail, and she realizes that he is the Messiah, and she goes back to her town and, and, and tells. And the disciples see this happening, and they see what's coming. These people are going to bother Jesus. They're going to come and have questions and all kinds of things. And so they knew that Jesus needed to eat. He said, in the meantime, his disciples urged him to eat, saying, Rabbi, eat. They used their natural understanding to say, this is going to take it some time here. If these people come out from the city, having known that this woman has met the Messiah, when they come out, they're going to want some time. And he said to them, now get ready. He said, 
I have food to eat which you do not know. Now, I'm not saying Jesus was or wasn't hungry. What I, was, what I will say to you is that this, this scripture teaches that Jesus had a substance on the inside of him that was satisfying in its substance. He said, I have food that you don't know. He said, I, I, this is not about hunger, it's about spiritual things. Therefore, his disciples said to him, has anyone bought him, brought him anything to eat? See, they, they took the tradition of faith and they said, well, this is how this is going to work. And, and then they started dealing in the natural. See, the traditional faith, the tradition of faith will keep you captured in the natural. And you'll look at things that you shouldn't be looking at. And look what he said. Verse 34, you ready? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Notice that he at least implies strongly that doing the will of God produces a substantive effect inside your person. My food, he said, I get my nourishment from this. And to finish his work. Notice it's enough nourishment to finish what God has called you to do. Now, notice in verse 35, here's where I want to get into it. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Probably there literally was four months. That's the, that's the time generally speaking of, speaking of in the Bible between sowing and reaping. And he says, do not say that there's four months yet for the harvest. Behold, I say to you. Now, now pay attention and get this. Because if you don't get this, you'll not lift your eyes. You'll look at what's available this way. You'll not lift your eyes. Look what he said. He said, don't say there's four months of harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. What do he ask them to do? Take your eyes off of what you can see. Look up. Okay, where is the harvest naturally? On the earth. Where is he asking you to look? Into heaven. What's the first issue of harvest time faith? Looking up. If you'll get this, you'll enter into a new realm of understanding. You'll get some harvest time faith because what you'll see is what God plans, not what man lacks. Does that make sense to you? So notice he says, look up. Lift up your eyes. And look at the field. Whose fields are we looking at? God's fields. Notice what he says. He says, for they are already white for harvest. God always has a harvest in your future established in heaven waiting for you to reap it. See, we say, oh, no, not right now, not God's time. It's always God's time. But we don't understand these things, and so we end up with a tradition of faith which literally says, well, I, got, I guess I'm not believing enough. No, you're looking in the wrong spot. You have not learned to lift up your eyes. He asks you to look somewhere else. So here's your quote. Harvest time faith sees the preparations made by God through others and begins to possess the intended harvest. When you lift up your eyes and you see the fields of God and they're already white unto harvest, you can begin to possess the results of God's harvest. Way to go, Glenn. That was really good. I just thought that would really be great. Do you understand? When you look up, you see what God has prepared for you. 
He's prepared it for you. You say, no, that's not true. I got to do all these things. I'm telling you, God has prepared a harvest for you that you have been looking at the earth trying to see where it is. You've been looking to humans. And somebody put in motion previous to you because God knew you were coming. When I came to this church, I didn't have to build the church. It existed. I, I, I'm living off of other people's works. They planted the seeds ahead of time. And all God said to me was, look up and see the harvest that I have planned. See? And, 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 and so we, we just tried to do that. And say, okay, here's the harvest. And you say, well, but you're not, you're not doing that right, Pastor. Okay, first of all, no one really knows that you're not doing it right other than God. If you'll lift your eyes to heaven, God will show you the harvest. He said, the harvest is already white. He says, don't, don't pay attention to the natural. It's four months, he says. Do not say it's four months to the harvest. Okay? Put the seed in the ground. Wait, 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 wait. And I'm going to show you something today about the tradition of faith that I'm hoping will just turn your heads. Hope you leave here thinking, wait, really? I, all I have is the tradition, the tradition of faith? Maybe. I'm going to give you four or five things, whatever I have time for. Notice he says, lift up your eyes. So again, harvest time faith sees the preparation made by God and others. Right? God said, you plant this seed. He, he told us we would harvest where we did not sow. Somebody else sowed. Right? <laughs> you don't have to sow every seed and you don't have to harvest every harvest. You just need to lift your head up and notice the harvest that God has for you. Amen. Amen. All right. Are you ready? Here's your first, here's your first thing. I don't know how Jeremy did this on the, on the screen, but I'm going to give you, I don't know how many there are. One, two, three, four, four. I'm going to give you four things the tradition of faith has limited power over. Okay? So again, remember that harvest time faith has a substance to it. When we look up our when we lift our eyes and we look up to heaven, we see the harvest white. Right? And we say, okay, that harvest is for me. If you look with your spiritual eyes to that place in heaven, what God shows you is for you. Okay, ready? Everybody listening? When you lift your spiritual eyes and look up into your place in heaven, what God shows you is for you. It's a harvest. It's not for me. That's why I always love when people come, you know, to the church and say, oh, pastor, we need to be doing this stuff. What they really mean is I need to be doing it. No. If you look up, you'll see the harvest. You'll reap that harvest in Jesus Christ and you'll do the work. Amen. Are you ready? All of these scriptures, the next four scriptures are in Matthew. So if you just turn, and I really want you to look at them. If you're using a, a digital device, um, that'd be great. But Matthew, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 8. They go in ascending order. So we're going to start in Matthew, and then we're going to turn in our Bibles towards the back in the book of Matthew as we look at these things. The only way for us to process harvest time faith is to do it according to the way that Jesus reveals it. Okay? 
he talks about at least these four things. So here's your first one. Harvest, or the tradition of faith, has limited substance to combat worry. The tradition of faith has limited substance to combat worry. If what you do in your faith is look this way, you will look at the lack of harvest, the lack of available stuff, and you will worry. That's Matthew chapter 8. Let's read it. Notice what it says here in the 23rd and following verses. It says, Now he got into a boat. His disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose, so that the boat was covered with waves, but he was asleep. I love this. I, I just think this is the coolest thing. Jesus was so trusting in the direction that his father had sent him, he took a nap because he knew where he was going and what he was going to get to do. But the boat is being tossed to and fro by this storm. Listen to me. You will not have peace in the storm that you do not have harvest time faith over that storm. See, the tradition of faith says, well, here's this storm and I can't do anything about it. You know, it's just going to come. Case sera, sera. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. First of all, God didn't say that. One of Job's crazy friends said that. And it's not true. I don't understand why we go to the Old Testament sometimes to learn this stuff. It's the wrong game. Are you tracking with me? Jesus hadn't come yet. It's the wrong game. Back then, you could be stoned for making a mistake. None of you would be alive. To, to this day, none of you would be alive. Because if you sassed your parents, take you outside the gates of the city and stone you. And I'm guaranteeing you, most of you, if not all of you, sassed your parents. Okay? And you sassed them, not by God's will, but by God's design. You got old enough when you thought it was time to get out. And you began to set your heart that direction. And so you set your heart towards leaving. We, we prayed for, you know, two students today. Man, it's hard on parents. Because God creates in them this desire that says, it's now time for me to go on and to find my way. And boy, we don't think our kids can do it. I mean, we look at them going, dear God, they're a mistake looking for a place to happen. I mean, okay, hey, listen to me. Do you understand the reason they think the way they do is you? They're taking the best you could give them with them to make mistakes with. Now, they don't have to make mistakes. If you had harvest time faith, you would, instead of looking at all the obstacles that are in their way, and by the way, there are boatloads of obstacles in the way. I mean, good golly, you can go to school. I was in a restaurant this week and I didn't know which bathroom to use. Two bathroom signs up there and they had like seven different pictures on there. Both of them. I was so confused. I said, just put them, put a man sign up there or a boy sign up there or something because I know who I am. And I'd like to go to the bathroom that was designed for me. And so I'm wandering in this little restaurant and I look in there and they're both the same. I'm going, well, now that's, that's terrible. I, normally, if you can look in the men's restroom and see a, a urinal on the wall, that'd be for men. It's real simple. Go in that one. I was so confused. The world's confused out there. Good gollies. And the reason they're confused is because no one taught them to stop looking at all the stupid stuff that's happening out. I'm telling you what, stupid has gone to seed and people are harvesting it in America. Okay, I'll just tell you right now, it is stupid. You think, 
you ought not to be that. It's not. Leave it alone, Pastor. Just, just move on. It ought not to be so hard to figure this out. If you have indoor plumbing, you be a girl. If you have outdoor plumbing, you be a boy. And you can't change that. Go to the right bathroom, for heaven's sakes. Okie dokie. See, if you have the tradition of faith, you'll look at the world and you'll see the world going to hell in a handbasket. But when you lift your eyes, you'll see the harvest that God intended for such a day as this. I'm telling you what, when, when the light of God hits confused people, they get un, unconfused in a real hurry. Just be ready, because the harvest is white. You say, oh, I just don't believe that. It's okay. You're going to keep looking this way and goof up everything that God has for you. When I first learned this message, I was, I was different than I am today. And I decided that since some people aren't getting this, I just told God, I'll take all the harvest faith that the people refuse. Now, that didn't work real well because I wasn't gifted by grace to take care of the people that God sent me because I harvested it. <laughs> yeah, hmm. Had people would come to me. I, you all know I, I love the Word of God. In fact, I love the Bible, okay? And so I'm real careful with the Bible. I even underline in my Bible with a ruler. If you don't use a ruler, you might go to hell. And I underline and I highlight words, you know, and I don't do it all willy nilly. I do it right. And I was counseling this guy after I'd made this terrible statement of I'll just take all the harvest that everybody else is ignoring. And God began to send me people that I didn't know what to do with. I went, wait, this isn't how it's supposed to be. Because I got nothing for these people. And what, I, what happened was, I learned how to trust God in a grace that He hadn't yet given me. You, you understand? So this one man named Chris, he, he came in and he's having all kinds of demonic stuff going on in his life. And I thought, well, that can't be God. But he was talking to me about, about uh, like it was God. And I thought, oh, that's not God. Well, I didn't know what to do with him. And I said, God, I need your grace. And the very next day, he came in and I touched the grace of God in my personal life that day. And when I did it, and I'm not going to reveal, although this man has passed and went on to be with the Lord, uh, but I'm not going to tell you the whole story because it's, it's too graphic. But, but when I touched that and I knew what to do with him, he stood up and spilled his coffee on my Bible. What a distraction that might have been for somebody like me. Because <laughs> as before, I asked the church, could you please buy me some Bibles? And when I give them away, can I keep buying Bibles? I think I have two Bibles in my office right now because God regularly tells me to give Bibles away. When you say, well, see, I can't be distracted. If, if in the middle of this service, and you guys, some of you have been here when God told me to give a Bible away in the middle of a service. And I have to go give it and then somebody runs my office and gets one out of a box for me. The pages don't come apart. It's embarrassing. Like I've never read the Bible. Well, I haven't read that one yet. But see, if you do this, you're going to miss it. See, if you're going to say, well, okay, God, I don't, I don't come to the platform and say, God, who do you want me to give my Bible away to today? Oftentimes, God will say something to me, and, and I'll ask a question, and it'll hit, it'll touch somebody. And they'll go, that's me. 
And they'll kind of sheepishly raise their hand. I'll hand them my Bible. Well, you can't do that. I can't not do that. I saw the harvest. I cannot not do this. See, some of you are going, well, that doesn't make any sense, Pastor. That's because you didn't see the harvest. All you saw was this. I get in a lot of trouble when people want to have conversations with me concerning this. And I'm looking this way. Because when you look this way, your viewpoint is different. I had a pastor in Imperial one time. Sorry. Lord, I just... I'd like to give this to him and away, but I had a pastor in Imperial one time, and, and he, he came to me, and, and he thought he was helping me, and he came to tell me that what we were doing can't be done. Now, I'm not the smartest person in this room, and if you are the smartest person in this room, then you must believe God isn't here. But anyway, I said, what do you mean it can't be done? He said, no, God doesn't do that anymore. See, he had traditional faith. He had the tradition of faith. He didn't have harvest time faith that says, just look up, see what God, that's what Jesus did. He said, I only do the things I see my father doing. I only say the things I hear my father saying. He had harvest time faith. He just looked up, saw what God did and said, well, that looks like a pretty good idea. Let's do that. Amen. Verse 25. Are you with me? Matthew chapter 8. Then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, now notice what the people that were with Jesus talked about and where it came from. He said, Lord, save us. They said, Lord, save us. We are perishing. One version actually says we're dying. Okay. What were they looking at? I know every you're, you're see. You want to say the storm, but if the storm was going to kill them, wouldn't they already be dead? They're looking at the perception of the end result. If this keeps going, we're going to be dead. Do you see that their faith was in the story that they made up on how this ends? Do you see it? Because if you don't see it, you won't realize that you're doing it. See, many of you today look at a circumstance and you build your own story, just like these people who are in the boat with Jesus and they see the storm. We think, oh, yeah, they're looking at the storm. No, they're not. They're making up the story of how it ends. The storm is going to kill us. Do you, are, are you all with me? So when you hear something on the news and you build a story, when you hear something from the doctor and you build a story, when you hear something from your bank and you build the story on how it's going to end, you need to ask yourself the question, am I operating in traditional faith instead of harvest time faith? Harvest time faith is awesome because what you do is you look. Have you ever seen anybody in ministry or, you know, I, I, I've had the luxury of, of at least being in the room with some pretty significant people in the body of Christ. And I'm always amazed how different they think than me. I remember when, when, when uh, uh, Church Bible School was down in Colorado Springs over on Forges down, if you ever went over there, uh, down there. That's where I, I taught uh, uh, second, third year pastoral candidate students there. And I was amazed. So I don't know. I think they did this just to make me fearful. 
But <laughs> I would teach a class, and then when that bell rang, Andrew would walk in. Because he was teaching the class after me in the room I'm in. I'm going, please don't do that anymore. I'm not near where he, and then he would talk about things. Like, I remember when, when, when he was talking about, you know, building the, the, the thing up the hill there and how much money it was going to cost. And I thought, dear God, why is he talking this way? I mean, like $60 million. And I'm thinking, man, that'll never happen. He wasn't talking about his desires. He was talking about what he saw when he lifted his eyes. It wasn't that he desired these things. I'm telling you what, I've been involved. It'd be easier for him on any given day not to do what he's doing. Okay? Now I can give you, I can go, oh, I mean, I remember when Creflo Dollar got in all kinds of trouble. And I've told this story a lot because it, it really marked me, you know. But, but, but the Rolls Royce dealer in Atlanta went to his church. And so he'd give him a Rolls to drive for a while, two, three months. I'm thinking, man, I'm pastoring the wrong church. Cool. He said that got him in so much trouble. Well, why did the guy give him a roll? Now, it wasn't his. It was the dealership still. He said, this is crazy to me. He said, leave the keys in it. I ain't leaving the keys in the Rolls Royce. Yep, leave the keys in it. And so he'd go out sometime and there'd be a different one parked where he was supposed to be parked because the guy came and took it to sell it, gave him another one. Keys were in it. I'm thinking, wow, how did that happen? It had nothing to do with Creflo Dollar. But when that businessman looked up, he saw the harvest. And he said, give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give unto your bosom. That Rolls Royce dealership guy saw that harvest coming from men. And he went, all I got to do is give, right? I'm going to give to Creflo. I'm going to give this car to him. And, and the minute that God tells me, I'm, I'm going to change. Now, you say, well, why is that important? Because when you look up, You'll see what God has already done through him and his people. And you'll reap that harvest. So when they looked out at the storm, they made up the end results. Right? They, they said, wow, it's a bad storm. We're going to die. Let's go wake Jesus up. I'm thinking, well, okay, but wouldn't your time be better served doing something different than waking up Jesus if you think you're going to die? See, they made up a theory about the end result of what they were going through. They made up a theory. See, traditional faith has very little power, authority, over this perishing thing. Right? Has, if you think you're going to die, traditional faith go, yeah, praise God, that's what's going to happen. Because you'll make up the story. If you think things are going to turn out bad, traditional faith will go, yep, that's right. Seed's been sown, harvest in the ground. And, but all you're doing is looking this way. Of course that's what's going to happen this way. The devil is a liar working in the spirit world. The devil is a liar working in the spirit world. He says, you just keep looking right down here and I'll tell you what to do. No, take your eyes off of that. Look up. See what God's harvest is white in. Now, I told you I was going to start, but the Lord, you know, constrained me to teach that one first. I'm not exactly sure why. Please don't make up stories about how things are going to end. Please. Please, please don't listen to the news and go, oh, dear God, this is so bad. No, look up. We are ripe for revival in our country. Look up. 
Well, but you know, they're out there and they're passing laws. Listen, laws passed never moved anything. Well, amen. All right, Matthew chapter 6. Let's go back and look at this one. The tradition of faith has limited substance to combat worry. So the first one that I gave you was limited substance to combat fear or, 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 or that kind of thing, you know, or ah, we're going to die. See, fear, when you look out this way, fear will make the end of the story. But harvest faith will look up and see the end of the story. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, I don't want to show hands, but how many of you don't like reading this passage of Scripture? The Bible says, quit worrying. Don't worry about that. But how, why do we worry? We look at the clothes we have. We look at the food we have. We look at the, the provision we have, and it's never enough. It's never enough. When you look up to heaven, all you should be able to see is how God is pouring out this level of abundance. You say, well, I just haven't received it yet. Hang on for just a second. Because God's trying to teach you to take your eyes off of what you can see. Notice he says in the 25th verse, do not worry for your life. What you'll eat or what you'll wear. This does not mean ignorant. Okay? What he's saying is when you look this way at what you wear and what you eat, it will never be enough. Therefore, it will produce worry. It's never enough what you can see. Why? Because you can't see what God's doing behind the scenes unless you look up. Notice it says then in the verse coming up here, let's see what verse, it says uh, 27. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your lifespan? Why do you worry about clothing, verse 28 says. Verse 31. Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. He said people who don't know God seek after the very thing that God promised to provide for them. See, God promised to take care of you. You say, but we have to do our part. Well, what do you think your part is? Well, I have to work really hard, Pastor. So I can have enough money to buy the blue jeans that I want. I have to work really hard. Or you can look up and see what God has already provided for you. You can literally read heaven. And God will show you what he has provided for you. And then you know how hard it is to miss that? If you'll... Look at what God has provided. When you trip over it, you'll notice it. You're looking for it. I remember several different kinds of stories where I was looking to people for needs. And I, I would look at people, you know, you, you don't look at poor people to help you. You look at people who have substance to, to help you. And, and so you, you look and you say, well, why aren't they giving more? Right? I mean, we were struggling in the church. And it was a little, little, little bit tight on the groceries. In fact, there were many times that had God not put groceries on our, on our step, in, in our, in our um, little porch area there, we'd have been hungry. But we'd open the door and there'd be the groceries. We never knew who gave them. Or I don't believe we did. Did you know who gave them? 
I don't think I did either. We never knew who gave them. We just walk out there and what would we what would we trip over? What God provided. You say, how'd you know it was coming? Because he promised. I looked up into heaven and I saw that the very things. I never forget when I really learned this. We had this precious lady in our church. Her name was Vinta Claney. And Vinta never saw a junkyard she didn't want to go through. And so she would sit in the back of the church with a, with a little Walmart bag full of broken toys that people had thrown away. And then, you know, here's this, here's this little old woman, 70 years old, you know, with bleach blonde hair and way too much makeup. And she'd sit in the back like that and a kid would come in and she'd say, come here, sweetie. Now, how many of you know that that could be kind of sick and wrong? Come here, sweetie. Right. And, and, and then she'd give them some toy. And I'm thinking, oh, dear God, you know, and, and even though it only had three wheels, it was still usable. She brought us a, 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 a one-piece plastic nativity set. Do you remember this? <laughs> and it was, somebody had put it outside, so it was all faded. And she said, I think if you put a bright enough light bulb in there, we can see what that is. <laughs> so one day, I was telling about my shopping experience to buy clothes. Now, I, I'm kind of a reasonably sized guy, and so I can't just walk into a store and, and generally speaking, buy clothes. I, they, sorry, just doesn't happen. And so I need stuff to be longer in almost every position that it's in. And so I had this store up in Denver that I used, but it was kind of expensive. And so whenever we could, uh, you know, muster enough, I would go up there and, and, and what I would do is buy a tie. And I always buy a tie. I bought this tie for that very reason. Because I like the tie. And then I'd walk around in the store with the tie, holding it up against shirts and coats and pants. And then I'd build the outfit around the tie. Say, why? Well, because that's how God loves me. God knows I love ties. And so I'll, I will, if a tie is pretty to me, I will buy that thing. And then I'll just keep it and then I'll go hold it up against an outfit. Why? Because God loves me. He's provided for my clothing. He's provided for my I don't even worry about that. Well, anyway, Vena one day, she came in. She says, Pastor, I know that, 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 that you went shopping the other day. And she says, look what I found. She found a pointy-collared polyester shirt that wasn't possible to fit me. I mean, you know, it was the biggest thing she'd ever found, but it wasn't big enough for me. And it was just so ugly. And I went, oh, dear God. And I thanked her for it. See, well, you remember, you guys are smiling. You remember Vinny, Vinna, don't you? <laughs> oh, bless her heart. And, and, and so anyway... I, I just had this hardest time going, God, why can't she give me, you know, like something I can use? But you see, what she was doing was taking how God wired her and expressing it in a spiritual way. And I needed to learn how to be grateful. Because now I'm grateful even when somebody misses the mark because they looked up into heaven, saw the harvest and thought of me. See, that's God doing that work. Amen? Now, notice it says here that, you, you know, the Gentiles seek these things, but your heavenly Father knows what you need. He knows you need all these things, so seek first. See, we worry about what we have and the things that we don't have, and God wants to add to us the substance of His harvest for us. 
Seek ye first these things, er, the kingdom of God, and these things shall be added to you. When you seek God first, the substance of his harvest will be added to you. Does that make sense? So you have limited effect over worry and limited effect over fears. One more today. How would that be? Matthew chapter 14. I may close with this one, but if it's still on me, I'm going to have to keep going. So sorry. I just preach till the anointing lifts. Is that okay? I always wondered why God didn't have more tolerance for how long I wanted to preach. All of a sudden, <laughs> I'm standing up here and I'm me. That isn't the guy God uses. Matthew chapter 14, notice if you would please, verse 25 and following. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. When his disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. This literally means they raised their voice being frightened. They began to scream. Why? Because they were still building a story. They were still building a story. They hadn't learned how to combat their worry. They hadn't learned how to combat their fears. You know, like, man, this is not going to end well. You know, if a, if a spirit, if a ghost walks up to you on the water, you might ought to just ask yourself some questions. Like, do I really believe in ghosts? I don't. You can say, well, what, what lives under your bed? Dust. What lives under yours? The boogeyman? No. See, I, I, I don't have any fear of extracurricular activity from ghosts of dearly departed saints who are angry because you painted their house a different color. But Jesus immediately spoke to them saying, listen to me, if you'll listen carefully, when you enter into fear, Jesus will immediately speak. If you, when you enter into fear, Jesus will immediately feel. But if you allow that fear to build, it'll be a problem. Be of good cheer. <laughs> Another way to translate that would be have some happy courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Now Peter, I love Peter because he, he's just an interesting dude. I think that Peter has a disease that I have. He speaks before he thinks. Sometimes I speak before I think. It's, it's a terrible thing. Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, well, who else would it be? I mean, the ghost guy said, it's Jesus. You say, well, yeah, I guess he did. Well, then who else would it be? If it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to seek, he, sink, he cried out. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you understand that the language used here represents a miracle that's gradually fading away? It said, beginning to sink. I just want you to try this sometime. I want you to try and stay up a little bit on top of the water for just a second and sink slowly. 
When you sink slowly, you ought to have a eureka moment. Wait a minute. This isn't how it's supposed to work. When I sink, I sink like a rock. Oh, I'm supposed to have faith. I'm supposed to have my eyes on Jesus, not on the storm. Do you see it? Notice what he said. Verse 31. Immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Now let me ask you another question. I look at these things because I've read them just a few times. I wonder, since he was close enough to be touched by Jesus, when he started to sink, why he didn't lunge and grab a hold of Jesus. If Jesus could reach out and touch him, if you're starting to sink, well then jump, man, and grab a hold of the guy who ain't sinking. What happened? What happened? Peter got so goofy, he didn't realize what was happening. He didn't realize that Jesus wasn't sinking when he was sinking. I should reach out and grab him. But Jesus reached out in faith and grabbed him. He was so captivated by what was happening that he didn't realize there were many solutions to the problem he found himself in. Can I point out something to you? There are many solutions to the problem you find yourself in. Many. Doesn't have to be the way you think it should be do, done. There are many. Notice what he says. He says, caught him by the hand and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did he sink? Does anybody know why he sank? He caught him by the hand and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did he sink? Doubt. Very good. Thank you. I, you guys thought it was a trick question. Why did he have doubt? Because it's against natural laws to walk on water. He recognized that it doesn't happen this way in the natural. Rather than looking at what God said is going to happen in the natural. Right? He told, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but he told them, go to the other side. Get in the boat, go to the other side. That was their future. That was their harvest from God. Go to the other side. And they said, wow, wind's blowing kind of hard. I don't think we can make it to the other side. Now we're scared because there's a ghost walking. Now that, the ghost called himself Jesus, which is kind of interesting. But he doubted simply because... His traditional faith says it's not possible to walk on water. Traditional faith is governed, and I'll, I'll touch this next week. Traditional faith is governed by human reason. Harvest time faith is governed by spiritual reason. If we can get over into that, it'll be so much different. Amen? Did you learn something? I hope so. I really do hope so. Stand with me, would you please? We're going to keep talking about this until the Lord releases us. Come on, music team. Thank you, Miss Lonnie. Until the Lord releases me. But I, I, just, want to, I just want to introduce this thing and, and, and begin to talk a little bit about how traditional faith and harvest time faith are so different. Amen? Father, thank you today. Let us not have a tradition of faith, Father, that looks humanly and naturally along the, the, the perspective of the horizon. Let, it, let us have harvest time faith, Father, that lifts up our eyes out of the sight of the natural and sees what you've prepared for us in heaven. Let us be clearly focused on that, Father. 
For it's in that harvest that is prepared by your principles. Somebody sowed. Somebody watered. And now God's calling us to harvest this. It's been prepared for us by a loving Heavenly Father who moved through people to get to this place. Oh, Father, we thank you today for that. And we just bless you, Lord God, for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live. And you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.